Greetings, Commanders! You are listening to a special episode of Lave Radio recorded live at the LaveCon 2014 event held at the Kettering Conference Centre on the 5th and 6th of July. A massive thank you to the volunteers who helped us make the event possible, the special guests that gave up their time to run rooms or present panels on the main stage, and finally the elite community who turned up en masse to make the event such a success. We hope you enjoy the show. We'll kick this session off. The, uh, it gives me uh, immense joy. Uh, it's a great privilege uh, for the guys from Frontier Developments. I mean, they are they're absolutely superb. In terms of supporting the community, you know, we couldn't ask for, for better. We really couldn't. The amount of stuff these guys do to, uh, you know, to keep us informed, to get competitions, newsletters, all that sort of stuff. The stuff they do to uh, promote the community is just second to none. And obviously, we've already, spo- we've already spoken about it in terms of LaveCon 2013, where, where Michael drove down to, uh, to Cheltenham Spa um, to talk to 30 of us. 30, 40 of us about you know, Frontier Development's vision of, uh, of what Elite Dangerous was going to be and then got back into his car, bless him, at some time around about sort of 12 o'clock uh, to drive all the way back up to Cambridge, back home. Uh, it was a phenomenal effort on his part and you know, this year, not only has he come back, thank you very much, but he's brought friends, which is even better. <laughs> they don't know what they're in for. <laughs> so you may have seen some of the other guys around, but on the panel we have Chris Gregory. Hello. <laughs> Rather than me completely cock it up, do you want to tell everybody what your official job title is? Uh, my official title is uh, Art Director on Elite Dangerous, and um, yeah, I'm having a blast, it's great, loving it. Excellent, next to Chris we have Sandy, hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Sandy Samarco, would you want to tell us your official title? Uh, So I'm a senior designer uh, um, on Elite Dangerous, and more or less look after the moment-to-moment gameplay. (laughs) (laughs) I also look after the forums as well for design point of view. And of course, the big man himself sitting next to Sandy, Mr. Michael Brooks. Thanks very much. I'm executive producer on Elite Dangerous, and thank you all for having me here again. Um, quite frankly, if it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't be here at all with the game. So, give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you. And finally, someone that you should all, especially if you hang out on the forums, should be uh, familiar with the wonderful Mr. Mike Evans. Hello. <laughs> I'm not a senior designer or a junior, just normal designer. <laughs> just, just designer. Um, yeah, main main jobs is flight uh, model controls, that kind of yawn. gameplay stuff. Yawn. <laughs> yawn, not yawn. Thank you. The reason why it's so awesome is him yeah. <laughs> and Mark for your meeting tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And also for uh, for putting people straight in no uncertain terms on the forum from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, we're we're right there with you. (laughs) Okay, folks, the way this is going to work, you're not going to get this opportunity again. So any questions you have in terms of how the game is currently progressing, what what Frontier have in terms of a vision for how this game is going to turn out, now is the time to ask them. So scare them. Uh, Let's see a quick show of hands. Who's got questions? (laughs) 
How, how's that easy. book coming along, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> Is that your question? Yeah. We'll start with that one. <laughs> Executive producer and also official fiction writer for Elite Dangerous. How is the book going? Uh, it's going well. Uh, I'll hopefully be sending it off for uh, test reading with David uh, probably in a month's time. Uh, once we've done that, we'll start revealing more information publicly about it. Um, but we didn't want to release anything, obviously, with the other guys releasing their novels, because you should be enjoying those first. Good answer. <laughs> At least you don't have to send it to that guy, Mr. Brooks. He's a, he's a real hard <laughs> taskmaster when it comes to editing. <laughs> I have to send it to David instead. <laughs> Other questions we've got? Uh, OK, uh, I'm going to have to, for the sake of the recording, uh, Rob Fisher has just asked, obviously it is a dynamic universe out there, so what gameplay do you think is going to come from the fact that you've got uh, light and dark caused by planets? Um, well, light and dark specifically, uh, obviously it's got... The fact that things move... Yeah, OK, sure. So the fact, the fact that things move around um, is hopefully going to have a pretty big impact when people can interdict each other uh, and AI and be interdicted by AI uh, during supercruise. Um, it means that the systems are very dynamic so that when you arrive at a system, you know, depending on the, the, the position that the orbit's in, uh, you might get a very different journey time uh, from one place to another. Something, a journey which might be very simple and quick one time might be a, a lot longer. Uh, the orbits of, uh, of various bodies in, in our systems can be really huge. Uh, space is really big, oddly enough. So, yeah, so the, the main, I think the main thing we're going to hopefully get from that is it, it, it's knowledge will be helpful. So players, skilled players that have the knowledge of how systems, or take the time to learn how systems operate and how their orbits work, will be able to employ you know, better tactics in terms of catching up with people, getting away from people, or just you know, not wasting fuel when they're getting from A to B. And beyond the uh, design elements of it is that we wanted to create as much as possible a realistic galaxy that you're playing within. Um, that has been one of the key presets for the, the design of the game or the vision of the game, if you like. Um, and without orbits, you couldn't do that. So that's kind of key to what we're doing. So how do you keep track of um, and factor in things like, so, so you've got a planet that takes five years to complete an orbital cycle in real time. How, how do you get around any features in the game that in, say, in two years' time might suddenly be broken and you might think, well, that planet wasn't there before when we put that in, now it's there, it's broken kind of thing? Um, it's, it's kind of broken down into a hierarchy so you can attach things to objects within the hierarchy list of the system. Um, so it's just managed automatically. Okay. We have a very clever piece of software that basically looks after all the stellar bodies in, in the galaxy. Lovely. Good answers. Next question. You sit at the back with the green, blue, and white top on. Sorry, what's your name? Okay, so Dan Harrison has asked, is it possible to use iPads or exterior devices to augment your gameplay? Uh, in the immediate term, probably not. Uh, in the longer term, we'll be looking at covering all kinds of different platforms. But at the moment, we're focused on getting the PC version uh, of the core game uh, released this year, uh, and then on the Mac version, and then looking at other platforms and other interface methods like possibly um, trading screens and whatever on other devices. But at the moment, we're focused purely on the core game. I would say completely open mechanisms is probably unlikely because there are concerns for bandwidth and security and things like that. But whether there's some limited API, it's possible. But at the moment, we just don't know. Great stuff. Gentlemen there in the corner. 
Yeah, go Steve. And then the micro purchases aspect of that, is it possible for you guys to develop where that may end up and what that may bring? So our full, uh, I seem to be answering all these questions, sorry. Um, so the, uh, the sort of the official line on that is being prepared at the moment. Uh, but I can certainly say that our preferred focus is on the cosmetic. Um, so it's an optional thing like the, the skins that are in this, week, in this week's newsletter. Um, we want to try and avoid the uh, potential for pay to win in an explicit sense that has been seen in other games. Um, and also to try and keep it a bit simpler for ourselves because obviously there's ramifications where if you can buy a new piece of equipment that comes out we need to make sure that that's balanced with uh, previous iterations of the game but there will be more details on that as we progress excellent that was a question about microtransactions from steve trump you sir okay a question about damage models within the games and are we eventually going to be able to pick up wrecked ships and repair them Okay, a two-part question, I guess. We have looked at, uh, at damage models for, for some of our ships. Currently, you'll, you'll see, obviously, if you destroy a ship, you will get wreckage um, that's, uh, that's left in its wake. In terms of actually kind of blowing chunks off the, off the ship, um, we are looking at that primarily for the bigger ships, I think, um, where you'll, you'll get more bang for buck out of that. I think we've, uh, we've currently got damage uh, models for the Anaconda, um, which, uh, which are being implemented, which, which do... They are quite visceral. You, you, it's quite great. It's quite good getting back to a, uh, a space station and seeing the results of um, of the attacks that you've you've suffered on on route um, is really nice. Um, but it also does take quite a long time to author and and to do well because what you don't want to do is have your ship looking uh, realistic and, and great and then the damage not look as great. And obviously, when you're talking about actually tearing chunks out of a spaceship, you, what are you going to reveal? You've got to show decks and you've got to show um, the internal workings of that ship, and to do that well is not something we want to rush. So we're looking at it definitely, but we want to get it right. In terms of, uh, sorry, the other part of the question was uh, repairing a spaceship, um, which I think is more of a design. Yeah, so um, it's it's definitely on the cards that um, there will be uh, possible interactions with ship husks in terms of possibly salvaging, uh, collecting data. Uh, Actually getting a dead ship and towing it back to Starport and refitting it out, it's not in our current schedule, um, mainly because of the balancing ramifications. Um, it's like, you know, make all these credits and bowl the ships, or if you're really lucky, you might just run into one and you know, just <laughs> stick it with a, with a grappling hook and just tow it back. So prob probably not. I mean, I, I don't know what, what might happen in the future, but certainly um, it will be, we really would like to have interactions though possible with uh, dead ships. Because that, that ties into gameplay and, and creating like micro-narratives of you know, you know, what happened here. <laughs> yeah, so you can salvage components, but yeah. not necessarily the entire ship. Absolutely, yeah. Brilliant. And obviously, if you remember as far back as the Kickstarter, guys, one of the videos that we saw from the Kickstarter was that wonderful video of the Anaconda with all of its side explode, uh, exposed and the, the idea of salvaging from that. And obviously, we've also talked about it on the, on the late radio show in terms of being a better pirate means just sort of you know, blowing open the cargo hold or just blowing open the side of the ship and leaving leaving the actual pilot alive, that means you get less of a bounty on your head and better salvage as well. So I take it these are the sort of things that you guys, in terms of design, are still looking at. Uh, yeah, in terms of uh, the piracy especially, I mean, that's, that's a bit of a hot potato on occasion on, on the forums. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, we're taking it really seriously and we, t I mean, we really appreciate it. It's probably a really good point to point out. Personally and as a team, we really appreciate all of the feedback 
um, it's you know, it's it's really useful. We can't always give everyone what they want, but uh, it really helps us. Um, yeah, in terms of piracy, we're looking at methods and ways of making it easier for pirates to do their job. We're already kind of on top of the ramifications of piracy. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not a consequence-free activity. But at the moment, we haven't really got the balance right in terms of getting cargo from someone without vaporising them. So, and that's, you know, a good pirate doesn't want a giant bounty on their head. So we are looking at, at, at some options, but we're not quite ready to talk too much about yet. But they are, they are coming. Comms is the start of it. Yeah, comms, which is coming, is definitely the start of it. Mr. Stabler has a question. I'm actually going to make him walk. I just want to know how much of the, um, the galaxy we're going to see in the next beta build. Okay. Um, <laughs> so unfortunately, I can't really give you a hard number to that because that's something we're revealing in the build-up to uh, the beta one release. So expect something in the newsletter quite soon. Um, but there will be... Uh... Soon. Yeah. <laughs> Trademark. It'll be Michael significantly Brooks. larger. Sorry, I can't give you an exact answer on that one. No, no, that's absolutely <laughs> fine. Nice try, though. Anarchy? I'm not just dancing out random questions here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to sit down and drink beer. Carl. Yes, sir. Matt Ralph, um, how has the high level of community engagement with this game affected the day to day atmosphere and development? You pizza. <laughs> Other than pizza, how has <laughs> the community interaction affected hunger. the development team? Um, it's meant that we constantly have uh, people, uh, forum threads to look at and find feedback for things and find new ideas to explore and it's very useful otherwise we're essentially designing in a vacuum between yeah. ourselves and some ideas that we think are great we can look on the forum and then we find out that, that other people have talked about this before they've, they've found the problems or they found the exceptions or they really really dig that idea and it sort of you know vindicates us and then we think we're on the right yeah. path it's just basically give us a whole extra sort of tool set and a whole, um, a, a whole uh, like a bag of ideas that we can dip into when we need them. Yeah. Uh, it cha it challenges uh, our ideas, yeah. which is something you get, you know, as, a, as a, design, a design team, you get that anyway, but you get it from a very limited and, and very biased audience. Yes. Um, when it's out there in the wilds of the forums, you get it from everyone, and uh, that's really good. And, uh, you know, as, it, when, it, when the criticisms come in, that's really helpful. Yeah. Um, when the... Uh, the, the, the plaudits come in, that's really nice. So, yeah, it's only a good thing. It also means if there is a bit of downtime as well, we can concentrate on just yeah. get, getting the feedback in, you know, yeah. which is also good. Just to follow that up then, given that Frontier is an established studio, would you ever want to go back to these previous approaches? So, as a company, we obviously we have a range of products. So, I think for some of the things like Elite, which is really close to our hearts, and especially David's, I mean, this is his baby, um, then this is a much better model to follow that because we are more masters of our own destiny. Um, but we still have good relationships with all the platform holders and big publishers, so we certainly follow that as a business, follow those lines as well. But we get, well, we're lucky enough to stay on the project that's ours. Yes, so. on, a, <laughs> on, a, on a personal level, I like this way of developing. It means that I don't have to check myself constantly and I can't just you know, be silent all the time. You can talk about what you're working on, mm. um, well, to a degree at least, and it's much better that way, I, th I think. 
a, a closed closed industry is not as, not as good. Good answers. I mean, I'm going to put you all on the spot now because obviously the main one that we hear about when it comes to the DDF is this, you know, the U, not a U-turn, but the change in terms of supercruise. Yeah. The fact that the community weren't particularly happy about the you know, just jumping to dedicated spots and, and supercruise came in. Taking supercruise out of the equation, what else has come or influenced you guys the most from the community that's made you change the way you've designed the game? Uh, every everything. That is, and it's, it's yeah. not without not, a cop out. It's not. It's not really. <laughs> well, okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> it's not really. Uh, it, it's. It, it's. It, there, there probably hasn't been a single topic where, at the very least, and this is something obviously that the, the guys in the forums you don't get to see it. Um, but some of the comments that come through, they really stop us dead in our tracks and make us go, okay, we, we need to rethink this. Um, and that's worked for simple things like, um, can you tell if a, if a spaceship is piloted by a, a real commander or uh, an, an AI commander? Now, we had various uh, thoughts internally in the office of, and I think it was probably fair to say that in general, we were like, well, we're probably going to make it so you can't ever tell, and that's it, it's fine. Um, wow. Yeah, that, yeah a, a quick trip to the forums later, and uh, we have a very different opinion now. Now, it's not, it's, you know, I, I'm not going to say that, yeah, the forums just change our minds and, and we become uh, slaves to it, but it's really good uh, to get the, the fee feedback, like in that particular um, case, where we, it made us re-evaluate, re um, and in that particular case, it made us come up with a, a, a new system, a kind of opt-in system for, for seeing if people are, if, if ships are, are real people or not, that we probably wouldn't have come to otherwise. Yeah. And that's one clear example where it literally caused design to happen. Another, so, another example would be the fuel. That whole system has been changed because of the DDF. So, yeah, it's not it's not just super cruise. It's is. You know, it's a whole topic. raft of things. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it also provides another contrast to working with publishers. Quite often, when, when you work with a the publisher, they'll request a change, and often that change is because they perceive the audience for what that change is for. Where with working with you guys in the forums or whatever, you are actually the audience feeding back to us directly. So we can then evaluate what you're saying. We don't always agree with you, and we'll, do, we'll make the decision ourselves. Mm -hmm. But quite often, it make, at least makes us think about our decision. Yeah. Even if we decide, if we keep the same decision, that's fine. We've actually gone through the process of making sure that, that our decision is a valid one. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Okay, guys, um, I'm gonna be a bit silly here. I'm gonna be a bit anal. Just for the benefit of the fact that we are recording this, there's not, you know, there's a lot more fans out there than just sort of the hundred that are in the room. Um, could I ask you, just so that we manage to capture you and do credit to your questions, to come in groups of five down here and ask your own question? <laughs> so people that have got their hand up, just come down here. That way we'll get your name on the tape and we'll also get your question on. Groups of five, guys, count. Five. <laughs> <laughs> when one person sits down, that means somebody else can get up. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so do, do leave us with some audience. Brilliant, okay. Rory. Um, just following on name? my name. What is my name? Oh yeah, Rory. Rory Scarlett. Um, just following up what you said there, Michael. Obviously on the forums you get vocal people that are either very negative or very positive about um, aspects which you're designing. How do you find a middle ground? I think you have to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. I mean, uh, the strength of opinion isn't the same as being right. Um, so we need to evaluate what the information is uh, and see, actually, is there a point there that we need to address? And it isn't necessarily... I mean, one of the things we found is that people are quite happy to provide um, so solutions where really what they need to do is identify the problem. 
and then we decide what the solution is. Yep, great stuff. Ben Moss Woodward, Edelweiss in the forums. How often do you guys find yourself having to walk away from the keyboard after getting into discussions with the community, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> we give him a new keyboard every day. <laughs> that's, not, that's not true. I don't, I don't feel like I find myself having to, to walk away from the, um, the keyboard. Although uh, sometimes I have just started a reply and then decide, you know what, I'll just I'll sit on this and I'll I'll come back to it later and, and re rethink perhaps the, my reply or just actually you know rethink um, the, the the answer entirely and actually say well maybe they do have a point and maybe I shouldn't be going in there just to put it straight or, or maybe, maybe maybe it's not quite straight to begin with you know. Yep. Okay. Hi there, uh, Glenn Crosby. Was there any single defining point or comment from the community that made you realise you wasn't just designing a game from um, Frontier, that actually it wasn't just your thoughts that count, but actually it was the thoughts of the community that should actually severely impact on the game? Um, I, th I think... Supercruise was a, a good point. Yeah, I, I think Supercruise was... If you had to pick one defining moment, um, Supercruise was where we first probably, you know, kind of didn't get it quite right, and uh, and and was w and we were really helped by the community in, in them telling us no, <laughs> to ch change it. Um, but from a personal perspective, just literally having the forums, having this kind of interaction, which I've never had before on any project I've, I've worked on, I think very very quickly, just seeing the comments come rolling in in general before you even answered them. That definitely made me think this is this is different and this is bigger. You know, this is a lot bigger yeah. than than me or, or anything I thought. So uh, also, I'm, I'm a you know, self-confessed. I'm, I'm a fan of the old the old elite. So I, I was pretty much terrified from, from, the, from the moment that, that, uh, that I was uh, that I was on the project. It's, it's a big responsibility. But amazingly, the community has been helpful rather than rather than uh, rather than frightening. It's, it's actually made it easier, I think. And do you guys still feel that weight of responsibility when you cross the threshold of Frontier Developments every day when you go to work? Yes. Oh, definitely. That's, that's, that's so much there. And yeah. the, the fact that you've got, you've got on the ships, for me, I think was the thing on the forums, was seeing how much, because I didn't know much about Elite uh, when I first joined, and that they were just kind of white triangles to, to me, in a way. I was, I, I, how dare I, you, sir? I hadn't, <laughs> I, I, hadn't quite, I hadn't quite appreciated to begin with how much people had read into those triangles and how much they'd filled in over the years their own ship designs and their own kind of ideas of what those should be and then we started to have to try and make those actual objects that uh, that uh, people hopefully now will like as much as, as the original ones but yeah definitely that uh, that weight of responsibility is uh, is a daily thing I think. you didn't quite appreciate how many people had spent hours doodling those triangles <laughs> in their maths books <laughs> at school exactly indeed at least you're now straight <laughs> <laughs> you what are you implying, sir? <laughs> Hi, I'm uh, Simon Bunn. I'm Parabellum on the forums. Uh, one of the strengths with PC gaming is creating your own content for games. Um, you've built um, a galaxy with 400 billion stars. Will you, in, at some point in the future, allow um, users to? create their own spaceships and stations and own their own systems, that kind of, that kind of thing. So this is something that came up in the Kickstarter, all, all those, uh, what, year and a half ago? <laughs> um, 
Um, and it's definitely something that David's quite keen on and that we'd like to support. Uh, I think the big problem is that to do it, you need to do it right. Um, and that takes a lot of tools development. And to be honest, that effort at the moment is giving us the tools to be able to create the game. I think once we've reached the stage where we're comfortable with what we've released, um, we could then start looking at how we can support um, fan-created material. And it would, I would imagine that sort of thing would come in phases anyway. Um, so there wouldn't be a magical thing where, oh, we support mods. There'd be sort of little bits of content that we can look into. Great stuff. <laughs> Go to the back of the line and think of another one. Twofer. <laughs> Question was, uh, what's the future plans for modding? Okay. Answered. Excellent. <laughs> Two birds, one stone. Hello, it's Chris O'Regan. Um, not in the community, unfortunately, but uh, I'm here as part of the press, really. And uh, I've got a query for you about the influence of other recent games that have come out since the arrival of... Uh, Elite Dangerous. Notably, uh, No Man's Sky is a good example. I think everyone's pointing, oh my god, look at that. Uh, and also there's Valkyrie and, and, and other games. How You said you were developing in a vacuum, but how has that emboldened you, if you will, of like seeing this other stuff that's coming out, and how has that impacted you, if, if at all? Well, it's sounded a bit too gushy. It's all good. <laughs> um, those games look great. I yeah. think they're going to do. They're going to do brilliant, uh, and they, it, it just helps the genre uh, be better. It, it pushes us. It makes us think, "Oh wow, they're doing that. That's so cool." You know, what can what, what can we do? So, but only, only in a good way. I've got nothing but uh, but praise for all of them. I think it's a, it's a really good time. It's a really good time. Yeah. Show that there should have been spate more new exactly. space games sooner than this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it seems strange that they've all seemed to have turned up at the same time. You know? yeah. but, but, uh, maybe yeah. the, the industry is just right for it now. Yeah. And I think, I mean, again, we're going to be horrendously biased. And we're all big Space Sims fans. We play things like Free Space, iWars, and you know, all of those in the past. But you know, none of those games that are coming out, you know, even the latest D3, nothing I've seen makes me go, huh. I should have backed that on Kickstarter as opposed to Elite. You know, Elite Dangerous is still at a phase where I still think it's going to be the best space game out there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Keith Sonson. I'm just curious to know what the developers think about the uh, proliferation of third-party tools at the moment for market scraping. Uh, is it something you guys are on board with or kind of involved in the game at all, a similar tool? Thank you. So that's an interesting question. I don't think we've actually come to a satisfactory answer ourselves. I mean, speaking <laughs> personally, um, I think it's kind of taking some of the skill out of it. Um, but conversely, people do that anyway. They'll, they will try and take the easiest route through a game because for them, it's just a, a means to an end. Um, so I'd say we probably won't do anything to actively stop it. That's my feel at the moment. However, um, when the Galaxy, you know, when you've got several thousand systems that you have to go to with 50,000 markets, the automatic scraping is going to take a lot of organising to be kept up to date and valid. Um, but we also need to do more in-game to provide you with the information yeah. to make the right choices. So at the moment you can infer things by what type of market it is and looking at the demand in the column. I mean, that's all I do when I trade, is I just look at the demand. That's the only piece of information I need to know whether that thing's worth buying or not. Mm. Um, now, obviously, when we add things like news feeds, you'll start getting other bits of, in, of meta information, like there's a famine here or there's a war there. And that's where you get the extra profit margin. Um, 
So yeah, it should be more about making interesting decisions rather than running a program that tells you that you should go there. But if you want to do it that way, it doesn't bother me greatly. So. <laughs> Yeah, so my name is Eric Allen, uh, Eric here on the forum. Uh, yep. I have a question about the network things, especially when it comes to kind of matching with people with bad internet connections versus good internet connections. Coming from a place with good internet connections, I see a lot of stuttering that makes me think of single player just to get rid of that. And I, would, I don't want to lose out on the multiplayer just because of that. How are you balancing this and is there a, a way to be able to kind of shut these guys out? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Following so on from the fact that we all want to play together, yes. we talked about earlier. <laughs> there's a, it's really a multifaceted problem. One is obviously the, the networking is a, a complex beast and it's something we keep on working on and improving. I think everyone will have noticed that there's been significant improvements over the iterations that we've passed through alpha and beta. Uh, the other is that recently um, we put more, uh, I can't remember the exact term for it, but where we score people's connections. Um, so we match them more appropriately so the slower pings won't drag down faster pings, so the usual kind of load balancing work. Um, of course, there is the option to sort of play with your friends and that, that who knows that. Although personally, I, I, I think the groups thing is an interesting discussion as a separate thing because it, it brings different elements into the gameplay. But yes, yeah, certainly you could use it in that fashion. But yes, I think the automatic stuff is something that we are trying to improve. Yeah. Because you don't want to lose, you don't want to lose out on the multiplayer feature. No, definitely, Just, absolutely. Yeah. But then at the same time, it's you can't please all the. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, if yeah. you've got a catastrophic case where somebody's actually they're on a really ridiculously slow connection, then they need to be parcelled off into a into their own session or into a session of people who are similarly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Before I hold on, Eric. Before I let you sit down, hold on. Before I let you sit down, talking about dedication of the fan base. Where exactly have you travelled from today? Malmo, Sweden. Yeah. Right. Well done. Thanks very much for making the effort, mate. Yeah. Well, I could lean in, but um, so I mean, I had, we've obviously you know been following the development of the game, and the the networking thing obviously has been obviously a significant challenge. So we kind of speculated about the podcast about it, but from from your point of view as a company, has it has it surprised you how demanding the networking has been? I mean, looking back at Frontiers previously previous games. We, we weren't sure whether you'd done another game that puts this much demand on your networking. Has it, has it surprised you? Uh, you had to bring in more we've resources? Had to, we've had to basically create our own uh, new network model. We did have, the engine does have networking for stuff that we've done on other games, um, even as far back as Thrillville and uh, even if Infestation had a, a network mode in it. Um, but this has been a, a much bigger challenge, especially as it's, uh, it's a mixture. So you've got the server-based uh, work and you've also got the the peer-to-peer -peer work and the two don't always mesh as nicely as you'd hope um, but that's stuff that you know we've been learning we've got some clever guys on it um, and we just keep working at it and keep making it better yeah I don't, I don't think it particularly surprised us as much as we just knew it was something really really difficult yeah <laughs> but if you want it you've got to do it yeah. hello i think i recognize you <laughs> greetings commander crash here yeah, nice. <laughs> i was just wondering of all the things which have hit the cutting room floor, wild speculation, things that might be, could be, never will be, for each of you, what would be one thing you would love to see in the game? And don't oh. say no Super Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. 
Yeah, go for it, Chris. Um, Trumbles. Trumbles. In in some way, shape, or form, some some version or nod or something to that, if we got time, would be cool because I think that's it. It was a nice touch back in the day in, in a very limited form, um, and I think it could be a nice little um, something graphically interesting, something different for you to to have to deal with in your cockpit potentially. Something because I think we've built these these awesome cockpits, and it would be nice to actually do something in them. Um, as opposed to outside. So I think for me, yeah. Trumbles. I have to say, actually, considering your triangles come in earlier on, I think you just reprieved yourself somewhat. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, like, <laughs> I've done my research. <laughs> nice to see you've done your homework. Sandy? Uh, well, I was going to say Trumbles as well, but now I can't. So, uh, <laughs> um, actually, so, uh, the, the thing I would most like to see is a kind of is a, a wild out there thing um, is uh, multiple, multiple commanders on a single ship mm. doing various different operations. It's something that we're definitely looking at all the time, but it's difficult. Mr. Brooks. Oh. I haven't got an answer to this one, really. Uh, I think that most of the stuff that uh, we're doing covers for the core of what I would consider to be elite. Um, You've been taking lessons from Mr. Brave, and he said exactly the same thing. Yeah. He's a great mentor. <laughs> if he's listening. Pay rise time. Yeah, that would be, yeah, that's what I miss most, not having a pay rise. <laughs> Can I change my answer? <laughs> I too would also like a... Uh, um, uh, I know everyone likes the idea of seamless uh, travel down to planet surface. Uh, what I'd like to see most is, is somewhat related to that, but very specifically the, the gas giants. I want to be able to fly a ship through an endless sky of, um, with awesome storms, scooping up gas to, to sell on. That's I think that would that pleases me more than actually landing on a hard, solid surface and somehow having to have gameplay there. That I think is going to be really hard to, to design. I have a proper answer now. Excellent. And now I had time to think about it. <laughs> I thought I got away with the bluff, but you know, uh, which face? Oh. I think it would be great to do something with which face. Respect. And what does which space look like in your head, Mr. Brooks? In my head, it's, uh, oh, it's very similar to the Super Cruise that we've got now, but it would be uh, visually very, very different. It's almost an alien thing in itself. Um, so it's actually having a mirror to the, to the real space. Good but, answer. Yeah, mm. it's never going to happen, so... <laughs> Bad answer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should do a Kickstarter. <laughs> Hello, my name is John Whitehouse. Um, I have a question about multi-ship ownership and when and how is this going to be imp implemented? Multi-ship ownership. Hopefully, it'll be implemented. How uh, we, we 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 did have a DDF yeah, topic on DDF. it. Um, <laughs> the plan is to make it work something like that. Right. So the idea, will, uh, uh, very very brief uh, answer. The idea will be that um, you can own ships, but they do have to live at starports. Uh, so you have to fly to them to change or get them ferried uh, around. Um, but th the concept is there um, in the list of all the all of the many of the things yeah. that we want. Uh, it's not it's not dead or anything. So it, it's just I'm not sure when. <laughs> it's it because the multi-role, the different types of ships and the multi-roles and that is it would be. It's you you want different role and different ships for different roles. Yeah, I think it's I think who doesn't want to own um, a warehouse full of third announcers? Absolutely. I mean, that's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely that'd be awesome. Thank you very much. No problem. Cheers, John. 
Hello, it's uh, David. I'm Vin on the forums. Um, I was talking to Michael earlier, but I thought I'd open up the rest of the floor. In the last newsletter, we saw information on trading. So we saw information on uh, who's dumping gold where, who's dumping fish, wherever. You mentioned about newsletters earlier while I was uh, waiting in line there. Are you planning on keeping that in game, or are you expanding the sort of the, the, the web and external content to give us feedback and information on the game outside the actual interface itself? Certainly the idea is that um, we want to continue that sort of thing in the newsletters, um, in that there's uh, sort of meta-information of what's going on. But we also want to drill that down into more details, so possibly what groups are doing, but certainly what key individuals are doing as well. So if somebody's taken down the biggest bounty ever recorded, um, usually on Lawrence, um, <laughs> then uh, you know, that's a significant news item. So those will eventually feed into the news feeds in-game, but also on our communications outside of the, outside of the game. Great stuff. Uh, Steve Dobson, Commander Dobbo on the uh, forums and in-game too. Um, and also a member of the First Great Expedition. My question relates to group play. Uh, we've discussed that we don't want to isolate ourselves off and play on our own. But with a limit of 32 players in an instance, we could possibly do that just by sheer weight of numbers. Is there anything coming along that will allow good group, group play with good interaction play at the same time? Um, so, uh, now that's, a, that's, that's, a really that's a really good one, it's a really interesting one. Uh, we are looking at all sorts of uh, um, different types of player uh, to AI and player to player interactions. Um, we're at the end of the day, we, I think, because of the technology, we're going to be limited um, in the number of players that we can get um, in an individual session. Um, and you know, whether it's 16 or whether it, it might go up a little, it might go down a little, I really, I really couldn't say. It's a, a technical thing. So it, it's only sensible that our interactions are focused on, on those kinds of numbers. There is, I guess, the potential for more aggregated gameplay in that I've got uh, six or seven guys doing something here, six or seven guys doing something in a different session, but there is some sort of meta strand of gameplay that, 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 they're, that they're interacting together with to, to generate. That's pretty much how, you know, how trading uh, works anyway. Um, it, that kind of thing that we, we, we will end up looking at, but at the moment um, it, it dictates, the technology dictates that we have to, we have to keep focused on, on the kind of session sizes that we've got. Uh, that sounds very good to me. Uh, one thing I would like to ask is an, a silly question is, are you going to publish that information so we can plan around what the limits are so we can <laughs> cope with them? So if we find there's a limit of 16, for example, we'd say, right, no more than eight people in a wing so that they get their interaction. When, when we know, you'll know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that's, it, it's, it's mutable uh, at the moment. You guys have got drinks coming, haven't you? Uh, I believe Massive so, yeah. oversight on our front. Yeah. <laughs> or is that a tactical decision that you're not going to drink anything? Because <laughs> last time it all went horribly wrong. Hello, Darren Gray, one of the authors on Tales from the Frontier, which is available to buy now on Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, question for Chris. Uh, yeah. With the procedural generation of planets, in the game. We've seen some really beautiful plans being made uh, already in the game and some of the peaks that we've seen as well. How do you find working with kind of procedurally generating art like this? Is this new to you and, and do you find it weird teaching a computer to make art? 
Um, it's it's certainly been a learning curve for for us. It's not something that any of my team had uh, had worked on before. Um, I think what we've found is that there needs to be a sort of halfway house approach. So you can't just um, expect the computer to do it for you. There's a certain um, skill and attention to detail that comes from having an artist drive that process. So what we've done, uh, it's been quite a long kind of journey to, to get to what we've currently got, is have, um, have a tool created that allows an artist to create patterns that the procedural generation is then based upon. So the artist is still in there making the, the calls and the judgments and looking at the reference and, and, and just adding that little bit of extra to make sure that it's not only right, but it's also appealing as well. Um, and then that is then taken by the, uh, the Galaxy Generator and, uh, and all of the systems that, that are under the hood to then make variants of and to use the right planet in the right place and to, uh, and to create a convincing, uh, convincing play space. Um, but it really has been quite quite a challenge and uh, in some ways quite surprising in that I've grown to like it more than perhaps I thought I might. Um, I think the, the trick is knowing when and where to use it so I would never want to replace anything like ship authoring or station authoring with a completely procedural system because to be frank I think I've never really seen that work as well as someone just making an awesome looking spaceship or an awesome looking station. You use the procedural stuff to, to get variants not necessarily to create your, your seed. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, so just jumping in. So how much have you been able to rely on the kind of you know in the limited bit of the galaxy that's come up so far in the beta? How much have you been able to rely on just what the procedural things have just thrown out there? And how much have you had to kind of step in and make little manual tweaks to to what the engine's thrown out? So um, it's a bit of a mix. Uh, so for the planet types, because we've only had so many templates. We basically restricted the planet generation to those types. So for, the, for those few systems, um, they're reasonably altered, but based upon what was generated for them in the first place. When I'm creating the galaxy, um, it's a mixture of authored, partially authored, and completely generated. Um, so where we have data for, so if there's an exoplanet, then obviously we author that and put the, put the information in. Uh, one of the big uh, challenges at the moment, uh, which Art and Code are working on, is linking the two systems. So we do have the, the variations, so when you go to a different planet, it looks different. What isn't quite hooked up together yet is the um, sort of the hard information about that planet, so its chemical composition of the atmosphere, which will then change what colour. Uh, so if you go to a gas giant and it's of a certain mass with a certain composition, it should be bluish. If it's of a, a lesser composition, so it's got different composition then it'll be more green um, so that's been hooked together at the moment um, and that is surprisingly complicated um, so if we have any experts on uh, color composition from chemical components then please let me know Drew, Drew? <laughs> um, possibly just a follow-on question for that then uh, Michael maybe expand on that and talk a little bit about the the stuff that you are injecting into the universe so obviously it's a procedurally generated universe you are injecting elements in terms of the stuff that the fiction writers have put within their novels and stuff. What other things uh, have you injected in the universe? What scope have you got? Or have you got any sort of thoughts on other things that you'd like to manually go in with the hand of God and uh, inject into the universe? So for the, for the large part, the um, initial job was to take um, various star catalogues and put them in. 
Um, I wanted to make sure that the 150 light year bubble around Sol was as accurate as we could make it. Um, but then there's also significant things that are fairly close. So there's probably a sort of a declining gradient, but that goes out to about 6,000 light years. Uh, beyond that, it's pretty much completely uh, generated. Um, but that does things like nebula, dust clouds, um, cl uh, star clusters, uh, stars themselves, all the exoplanets that are currently known. Um, I've also brought across some of the stuff from FFE that's quite famous. So anything that uh, the writers will know that there's various background docs. So any system that was mentioned in that is now also in the game. The systems that they generated for the books uh, are in there. Um, although Prism isn't quite in there yet, if Drew's listening. The system's <laughs> there, but there. Um, so we also got things like, um, so we've done a pass for those 150 light years and we set up, this is an independent world with this economy. Uh, so that all has uh, planets assigned to it or asteroid belts, that kind of thing. Uh, what I'm working on at the moment is adding space stations, um, which is fun because there's a ridiculous number of them. <laughs> um, so that's all generated um, from an authored uh, database, um, which we control. Um, but the system, I can say this system is completely authored. So for Sol, that's a completely authored system. Uh, when I finish Drew's system, for example, that will be completely authored. But I can just say, well, actually, all I want to do is I need to have this star, I need to have a, a habitable planet, but you can just generate the rest. So we can do partially authored systems. And then there's just the completely generated. Um, so some of the fun things that I've found out because of it. Uh, so there's actually some clusters. Uh, so we have a, a bounding box around the galaxy. And there is a little cluster of stars at 28,000 light years up that way. Uh, and it gives you an awesome view of the galaxy down below. So what I'm thinking is I might pipette <laughs> a little enough way. systems that you could conceivably get there. That would be amazing. Brilliant stuff. Well, uh, final follow-on question from me, I promise. Um, but obviously, um, when David created Frontier, you know, he got lots of critical acclaim from academic institutes about the fact that, the fact that he'd managed to accurately map out so much of the solar system that it was, it was good enough to use as an educational tool. Have you been approached by any institute so far, or has there been any in interest uh, on using Elite Dangerous in the same fashion? Uh, so there's nothing that I can really talk about at the moment, but I do know that there's been some discussions about David and the game getting involved with a few things. Brilliant. Okay. Question from the audience. Steph Wyeth. I was going to ask, where's my space station? But I, but I won't. But I won't. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, just, just to the left of yeah. me. Um, will a second set of fiction licenses be issued? Oh. Um, so we're going to hold on that decision for a little while. Uh, I think we want to see how the current crop, uh, how well they do, um, and what the demand for follow-ons is. Um, I've got mine, obviously, to get out there. Um, and there's still a few other books that are, are, in, are in production. Uh, and more importantly, we want to get the game out there. Um, so once things are stabilised a little bit, we'll, we will revisit the question and see what happens from there. Hi, I'm Marcus Kipps from Glantz. Thank you for asking that about the fiction, because it was <laughs> going to be a question I was going to ask later on. <laughs> um, it's, an, it's a hugely complicated game. It's massive. 
the people here and the people in the forums are engaged with it, and that's fine. What do you say to someone who hasn't played a computer game for 20 years but remembers it fondly? And you know, when they start on day one and go, what the hell is going on here? How do you explain it to them? Well, we have to reinvigorate the love of what got them into the original game in, in, in the first place. But I think possibly the bigger challenge that we have, and I'm not trying to sidestep the question, but um, so I think for people that love the original, we already re we have a reasonable sort of inroad to them knowing what the game is. The real challenge is people beyond that. Um, so people you know who play computer games but haven't probably haven't played a space game before, or if they have, it's, uh, it's a an arena shooter or a level in Halo or whatever. Um, so it's capturing that imagination. And I think the big thing that Elite has uh, is its scope and its scale. Uh, and for me, when we got the galaxy map in, that was the thing that really triggered the, oh my word, how big is this game? Uh, I think, I don't think I've seen anyone look at the map and not go, wow, that's completely awesome. Hi, Giles Williams. At least it's got an awful long history. It's 30 years now since the game came out. And its community is almost as old. <laughs> <laughs> older at times. Given that popularity and the, the, the longevity of it, do you foresee yourself still adding content to Elite Dangerous in five years' time, in ten years' time? Will you still be with Frontier? We'll see how that pay rise comes. <laughs> um, I'd like, like it to. Yeah, I mean, certainly for us, this isn't just creating a game and releasing the game. Uh, there's a number of expansions that are planned. Unfortunately, yeah. we're going to go into details on that before anyone asks. Uh, we want to get this initial game done. Uh, but certainly, this is something we want to be developing for years, yeah. even a decade to come. It's, well, yeah, we'll see. I might have retired by then, hopefully. <laughs> We have we have joked that it might end up being a generational project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's brilliant. There'll be a, a passing of the torch from old devs to new devs at LaveCon 2028 or whatever. Um, we're not going to press you on the expansions. We promise it's unfair. But talking about expansions. <laughs> I, how how much of a structure have you got around? I mean, is it a couple of post-its stuck to the wall? Are there a couple of you know crew members uh, dedicated to thinking about where the roadmap goes to? What? How are you doing it? So that's really at at this juncture is David's vision. Yeah. Uh, he's got a vision as to where we're going next with the game. Um, as far as us as implementers on the team, it's focused on we get this game done. Um, obviously, we've got ideas bubbling in the back of our heads of how uh, various things can work, but. To be honest, we're in the um, sort of pretty much the end phase of actually just finishing the game. And as anyone who knows who's worked on any kind of project, when you get into that sort of last six months or whatever, you really are focusing on just getting that done. Meanwhile, David's in his office hatching the next work for us to do. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're looking forward to that. Do you curse him ever so slightly when he's in there? <laughs> uh, it depends on how the pay rise goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to get a pay rise. <laughs> Uh, Ian Phillips uh, on the forums. Um, I'm also uh, involved in the First Great Expedition and one of the first responses to that was the First Great Pirate Expedition. So um, what I'm actually interested in is in terms of reducing the risks 
where the hell are the Thargoids? Thor <laughs> 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 well, we are sworn to secrecy on the Thargoids. Oh, Sorry. They're in a, they're in a file on my, on my hard drive. <laughs> 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 Sorry. I'm so Thargoids, you just confirm, is, it's an embargo topic. There is no talk of Thargoids. There isn't really much I can reveal on Thargoids at the moment. Apart from they're all female. Well, that's true. <laughs> as much as it makes sense. They only have one sex, so... Might sort of be the female sex. <laughs> it was a brave attempt. I <laughs> got some kind of answer last time. <laughs> he hasn't drank as much as he drank last time, that's why. Bartłomiej Sokołowski, Sloma on the forums. As a member of the Polish community, I was asked so many times in the Polish subforum uh, whether is it we're going to see a Polish translation of the game. And there is another question shortly from myself uh, whether, whether are we going to see uh, Imperial Courier coming back as a playable ship? So, uh, Imperial Courier is a playable ship and the Polish localization. So decisions on the languages haven't been finalised yet. Certainly we've done German just to sort of test the waters and, and get our systems in place. Um, I think if there's a demand for a language and that demand is high enough, we'll support it. We're happy to sell to whoever wants to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, petition us, get as many people to petition us and then I can say to the localization team, we need this language. Great stuff, and the Imperial Courier? Uh, I thought, have we not announced that? I'm saying nothing. <laughs> yeah, one of you needs to say something. Uh, there is, there's an Imperial Courier in there. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Just one final word about the translations. Polish uh, community is the most active uh, on the sub forum anyway, so <laughs> I, was I was hoping that we're going to see that. <laughs> yeah, something tells me Michael doesn't hang around in the, uh, the Polish sub forum very often. Can't imagine why. Hello again. It's still Ben. Um, <laughs> as Giles mentioned, a lot of us kind of came along from the original leak back in 1984. The only person I think here under 20 is probably one Vigor. How do we appeal to more people like him? By making a cool and fun game. Yeah, exactly that. We exactly. need to make, yeah, something that appeals to, to everyone. I think we had a, a lovely head start, and to be honest, that's how, why we did so well with the Kickstarter is that there is fond memories of the original game and you know there's people of my age and uh, younger and, and whatever that have just cottoned on to a game that uh, they played as youngsters um, and I know that there are people here who are already passing on that love down to their own uh, children but you know that's down to we need to work on the marketing and bring in that attention. Yeah attention. And, and on that um, I mean I, you guys have, have seen what um, some of you were at BAFTA I know mm. um, and that was that was great and um, it was really good to see um, a bunch of people playing the game who perhaps had never played it before, yeah. and who were just loving it. And I think it's it, it's it's that you don't need to know the backstory, you don't need to know the history of it. You just need to know that you are diving into a spaceship and you get to fly it, and that's inherently cool. So I think if we can sell that and make people aware of that, then they're they're going to find out the rest and they'll want to learn how to play properly or, or in a great way. But that that in that rush of flying that ship and launching that ship is really key. And I think the, our marketing team, uh, fledgling marketing team, but um, they're, they're doing really, really well. Um, and the, 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 the showing at E3, I think, was, was yeah, yeah. really, really good. Um, you know, they, they pull out all the stops in a way that I don't think has been done for any other game that we've 
Um, so that's another interesting aspect to um, effectively self-publishing is that the onus is now on us to get the work there. We can't mm. say, oh, well, the, the publisher didn't push the game enough. We need to go out there and, and attract that attention. Um, I feel like our game is just fun and good as it is. Not uh, It's fun and good with the condition that you had to like the old game or that mm. you were around back then. So, you know, I feel like we'll, we'll get that audience regardless. It'll, it'll, be, it'll have appeal just because it's a good game. I mean, I, obviously I agree it's a good game and things like that, otherwise I wouldn't have back to the alpha level, but it's also a very unique game, I guess, in terms of its mountain that you have to climb to get into, especially at the moment. I'm assuming there's going to be, when the final thing comes up, there's going to be a, an easier way in for new players? Yeah, so we're always going to, we're always going to be investigating, not so much a, 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 a static set of tutorial missions or anything like that, because that's... That really goes, goes it, it runs in the face of everything that we're trying to do. It's a sandbox. But we always want to make sure that we're, we're trying to address accessibility wherever possible. So that's, what, that's one line of attack. You, know, you don't need to know how the power distributor works to fly the ship. You just need to you know, wiggle on a gamepad or on a joystick and hammer the fire button and you'll get some result. Uh, and on, on, that, on that focus, we're, also, we're, we're definitely trying to make this uh, accessible in terms of the, the visuals as well. You know, so we're, we're, not trying, we're not trying to be too... Uh, you know, uh, crazy, this is super realistic. We use hard sites wherever we can, but at the end of the day, if we can say to someone, hey, you get to be Han Solo, you, know, you get to fly the, effectively fly the Millennium Falcon, everyone gets that. Everyone gets that lasers look cool and they make a big noise and ships blow up and, and uh, engines are, are raw. And it's, it's that kind of, I think that's a, there's a level, a level of accessibility in the fact that it's, it's quite popular, quite a popular view. So it's two lines, basically, making it really fun and engaging and making sure that wherever possible we look at accessibility. Great stuff. Okay, well, talking about accessibility, um, I can almost answer this question for you because I know what you're going to say. But uh, you talked there about the you know the controller. Your answer, of course, is going to be that we're focusing at the moment on the PC game and we want to make the PC game as good as we possibly can. But talking about accessibility, talking about generational thing. Most kids these days play on a console. They don't go out and spend a hundred pounds on a. Uh, an X52 Pro, they, they pick up a gamepad and expect things to be accessible through that. So, long term plan PlayStation, Xbox, I mean, this game, it looks gorgeous. It would look just as gorgeous on the next gen consoles. What's the plans? Well, I think I've already mentioned that once we have the PC version and the Mac version done, we will be looking at other platforms. The fact that you can play the game on a controller now you can, yeah. um, means that that is certainly a possible thing to do. However, as far as I'm concerned, playing on a joystick is a much better way to do it. And I think that's the other thing for attracting new audiences is hooking into technology like the Oculus Rift. Uh, the Oculus is a stunning device. Um, I mean, the moment I tried it for the first time a few months ago, it just, it sold me. I went out and bought an Oculus that, that day, even though it was a crappy DK1. I'm sorry, the DK1. <laughs> so I played the newer version, so yes, the, the, the newer HD version is really nice. Um, but it, it's hookups like that, mm. you know, your VR used to be a bit of a dirty word where now mm. it's cool again. And it's cool again for a very good reason that the hardware is now achieving what we couldn't achieve sort of 10, 20 years ago. So I think having that, and Elite Dangerous and Oculus is a, is a match made in heaven, to be honest. Yeah. Sitting in a cockpit, looking around, especially now we've got the animations in there and you're looking around and it, yeah, it blows Absolutely. you away. Mm -hmm. Couldn't agree with you more. Although. 
I'd just like to say, obviously, Sony have got their, is it their Morpheus headset out? Yeah. The Elite, da Elite Dangerous could sell that peripheral for them. Uh, if you, if that was working, those two combined. If Sony want to give me a call, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> More of a pay rise. Next question. Hi, Matt Ralph again. Back to the um, group play and networking question. Would there be scope within that arena to allow, for instance, community events like this where everybody can get together on a fast LAN and maybe even build around that significant universe events, be it wars or something similar, where everybody could get together and participate? Um, again, oh, I yeah, I, 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 again, unfortunately, <laughs> technical limitations are going to be the defining factor here. Um, It'd be awesome if we could just get everyone in one uh, individual session, but it's not really it's not really going to happen. So again, if we want to do things like that, and these are great idea, and yeah, we 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 would like to do things like that. Uh, would have to it would have to involve some sort of meta joining of gameplay across individual sessions, with data from each session being aggregated to some common result. Um, it, it's it's really the only kind of sensible way of of approaching it. Um, it's people experiencing the, the gameplay in a in a you know, a, a more limited fashion, but they can look at the bigger picture and go, ha-ha, you know, with the, overall, the, the blockade is failing because lots of different people are, are encountering the same kind of gameplay and getting through the blockade. So it's, it's a great idea, but, and, and I hate to be the naysayer, but unless the technology changes drastically, we are, I think there are going to be some hard limits that we can't, that we can't really so, get around. So I think there's two things to follow on from that. So the first thing is this, when we have the, the group mechanisms implemented, if you're all on the same LAN, then the peer-to-peer -peer element of that session is obviously in a much stronger position anyway, because you're all on the LAN. The overhead of then talking back and forth with the universe service is pretty minimal. Um, so certainly you can set up that kind of behavior. The problem with having sort of LAN-only instances is that a lot of the universe is all tied together with the server instances. Uh, and then devolving that so you can put that into your own LAN server, well, that would just leave, leave us right open for because you then effectively have instances of our code, so it'd be a huge security concern for us. Um, so yes, you might be able to get part of the way, but probably not everything you want on that one. Thank you very much. Okay, so um, maybe just expanding on that with the current uh, roadmap that Frontier have. So talk about sort of a civil war breaking out in Iranian, okay? Um, Frontier are running it, they know it's an event, uh, is it an event that runs for 24 hours with lots of sort of press around it in terms of the, the newsletter? Is it something that runs for a week? Is it something that runs for a month? What is your vision of that so far? Um, I think uh, it'd be fair to say that um, in different instances, different scales of, of, of background simulation event, it's completely feasible and almost guaranteed that there will be, you know, this, this event is active for 24 hours. There's a flurry of news in the news feeds in nearby systems and then it, as it disperses, you get less and less information. That's, a, that's definitely one aspect we're aiming for. Um, but really, I don't see any reason why we can't have uh, events that run for longer, um, that can be effectively more widespread. It, we've already got this limitation that you can only have so many people in a session. Once that's out of the way, if everyone wants to go to Seoul, you know, to buy all the fish, all the salmon in Seoul, so there's no fish left, uh, that's completely reasonable. Um, and, you know, so yeah, I, I think it's completely fine that we, we can have uh, and it's definitely desirable and definitely something we're working towards, um, having uh, larger scale events that could run for much longer, um, that could have uh, basically uncertain outcomes. Um, it's, that's definitely kind of at the, at the heart of, of the kind of background simulation. I think the thing to remember there as well is that these events occur at the galaxy level. 
So it doesn't matter what server instance you're in, it's taking place around you. Um, and certainly player interactions will determine how those events unfold. So it's quite possible that this war goes on and there's a stalemate because there's an equal amount of player activity to keep the war going. Um, it, it conceivably, and I think David's favourite uh, example is the famine. So players could actually keep that famine going if they wanted to be nasty enough and just keep in interdicting all the uh, food convoys. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got some interesting ideas uh, to see actually how people react to various situations. This isn't a question for me, it's a question from the floor, so it's David again. Um, do you play under your own names in the game? And should you play under your own names in the game, do you find a target painted on your backside? I do, and they can bring it. I fly a federal capital ship. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one little question, just a minor thing. Um, just obviously from the fiction perspective, there's been lots of discussion back and forth about timelines and when events happen and sometimes even down to you know the last sort of few years before the game was meant to be set. Now obviously originally everyone was working on the basis that the new game would start on the 1st of January 3300 but obviously in the beta because it's set to the current date we're already on like July 7th so is that is that something that's going to go back or does from your point of view does the date the game takes place to be honest matter? we haven't really decided that but i would say the game isn't actually out yet so we're not contributing to the fiction in any meaningful way yet <laughs> so uh, yeah. i would say that we will probably reset it yeah. but i won't guarantee that because who knows <laughs> so is that and as well because it is the game is quite incremental in terms of what we're seeing i mean are we going to be rolling into is what we're doing now going to roll into the retail release? Or is there going to be a point where we say, you guys have been playing this, that's done, there's this fresh start here? So I would anticipate that we'll hopefully do our last big reset at the beginning of Gamma. Um, there will certainly be resets along the way before then. Uh, certainly Beta 1 at the end of July um, will be a, a reset. How harsh a reset, I'm still in negotiations with, but certainly there will be a reset. Awesome. Again, you might not have, uh, have given this one much thought, actually. Um, you talk about sort of injected events, you talk about famine, you talk about the civil wars. You know, way back when, LaveCon 2013, we were talking about things like supernovas and other special events that you guys could basically play God and inject into the universe. Can you tell us any more about those? Have you thought of any more that you might want to include? Have you got any blue sky thinking about what you would love to see in the universe? To be honest, at this stage of the project, I'm more interested in getting the stuff that we'll be using day to day. And I think the problem with events like Supernova is that they happen once every you know, thousand years or whatever. Uh, and actually, if one did go off, you don't want to be anywhere near it. You know, you can keep <laughs> ahead of it. With, yeah, you can keep ahead of it with the hyperdrives, but it doesn't really do a lot except devastate a, a big section of the galaxy. Um, so yes, there could be quite rare things in, but I think getting the the day to day structures. So there is that variety wherever you go in the galaxy. I mean, at the moment we, we only have you know, 12 systems or whatever it is. Um, we've got a big way to go to expand that out. So we need to get that right. And then we can look at the bigger stuff. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, talking about supernovas and stuff, who do you consult with in terms of physics, astronomy, the science? 
Um, yeah, <laughs> David is our, our lord and master on that. I mean, obviously, we do our own research as we go through things. So he'll come up and, for example, he'll say, uh, those stars don't look bright enough in the sky. Um, and we have a lot of talented guys on the team, some of whom are mathematicians. We've got one astrophysicist. Um, we've got various contacts with, with people anyway. And they'll chew through the numbers. But sometimes it just comes down to an art decision in the sense that uh, I think lighting is possibly a good example, uh, and I wouldn't suggest that we're right at the end of where lighting should be. But if you're doing realistic lighting, you have a huge contrast range, mm. and you could literally be in pitch black. Now, it's good to have that moodiness, but people randomly flying into asteroids also <laughs> isn't a great deal of fun. Um, so you need to find that balance where the game is still fun to play, but you've also got that sort of element of realism that makes it cool. It's been good. Um just doing that research as well. Yeah. It's been uh, so David will come up with an idea that he wants to have a look at, I don't know, um, magnetic fields around planets yep. as an example. And then we'll have to go away and I'll go, okay, well, so what does that look like? And that, so that leads us to uh, a lot of NASA websites and, and that sort of thing mm -hmm. to find really interesting uh, simulations and, and bits of. Uh, uh, video footage on uh, on what that actually looks like and often actually um, you'll end up with something from that that you wouldn't have come up with if you were just asked to come up with something that looked cool um, uh, so yeah it's been it's been fun uh, finding out about some of that stuff yeah I think I've learned more about uh, stellar formation and uh, <laughs> uh, the density maps of the galaxy and just quickly, so do you do sorry, this is this is the one bit of science I know <laughs> do you do um, do you simulate gravitational lensing on the star field, or is that just too much to ask? Uh, we are actually looking into black holes at the moment, so that I just mean is even one around of the planets, because I know you get a star corona, don't you? You do, and so on the atmospheric effects, that's probably part of the shader ultimately. Um, but certainly, there are some things we are looking into light lensing for. But to be honest, I think if we're doing that, we'll cheat and go for <laughs> a, a, just a, a refraction that you know we artistically balance. Yeah. We know that light lenses around a gravity, we don't need to prove that. Yeah. We just need something uh, that works. But also, even with a large black hole, that's quite insignificant in the sky. Unless you're right on it, you just won't notice. Mm. I was going to say, unless you're getting sucked into it, then it's very significant. <laughs> I will say, though, talking about asteroids, I mean, certain members of the community can hit asteroids in broad daylight, can't they, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, just another question for me quickly before Ben gets back. Um, we, we're talking about uh, the fiction. Obviously, the, the draw of this game is certainly from the originally is the fact that you made your own universe, you made your own story. What are you doing? Obviously, we've got the three factions. Can you shed any light without dipping too much into the writer's Q&A that's coming next? Can you shed any sort of light as to what elements you're going to put in terms of a narrative for this universe? Not really. Excellent. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> just wondering about the. Sorry, still Ben. Uh, just wondering about the relativity, I guess, in the game. In that, when we're looking at a star, is it where it is now? Is it where it was 300 light years ago? Well, 300 years ago. What is it? Um, the stars don't move. We're not, we're not modelling the travel of light through the galaxy. They're basically in static positions, um, which means there's some cool things that we can't include, but to do that computationally on your average home PC is craziness. Excellent stuff. Well, 
It looks, believe it or not, and I am amazed, but it looks like we have ran out of community questions. So we've only gone over by about 15 minutes. Oh, hold on. Is there a question from... You sure, John? It would be nice to get a developer to come up here and ask the developer a question if you really want to. <laughs> Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> Never go to a live auction, whatever you do. <laughs> okay, so we have run out of uh, we have run out of questions, but guys, that's been captured for a podcast that we will release to the rest of the community. Thank you so much for taking part. Uh, and again, on behalf of the rest of the community, they'll be thrilled about the questions and the level of questions you've asked. But obviously, for our four panelists, a massive thank you and a massive round of applause. Thank you all. So thank you to Mike, to Mike, Sandy, and also to Chris. Two seconds, I'll be right back.